right. I'll take you to Blackpool. Jaring Cacophony tells you you're listening to the Power of Three, the Doctor Who podcast with three, well, normally three, other grumpy, well, sometimes grumpy, middle-aged Doctor Who fans, enthuse generally about Doctor Who, but it's one of those ones today, there's not three of us, it's the Power of Two again, and I am delighted to say that today I'm joined by, well, it's only Kenny Smith, isn't it? I'm afraid it is only Kenny Smith, but hey, I'm delighted to be Kenny. here, how are you Mr Dave? Yeah, I should probably say who I am. Yes, I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Kenny, all the better for seeing you. So, All the better for today, being seen. <laughs> it's the two of us today. We did ask Tom to join us today, but it seems that he's got lost, which is kind of appropriate because today Kenny and I are talking about, principally, the two most recent releases in the Big Finish Doctor Who Lost Stories range. Of course, those two stories, which came out very recently, are Return of the Cybermen and The Doomsday Contract. Return of the Cybermen being a dramatisation of the original Jerry Davis script, the Tom Baker story for his first season as the Doctor and the Doomsday Contract, which was sort of prepared and talked about and pitched and all that sort of stuff by John Lloyd during the Douglas Adams period of the series. Principally, we're going to be talking about them. So, Kenny, you're our man in Havana. You're our resident big Finnish guy. Tell everyone what the Lost Stories range is all about. Well, the Lost Stories range began back in 2009. Originally, Big Finish had done adaptations of the three Doctor Who stage shows, Doctor Who-related stage shows, the Daleks, that had been done over uh, the 60s, 70s and the 80s. And these had been very popular uh, when, when they were initially announced. And producer David Richardson thought, why don't we try and tackle some of the stories that were intended for TV, but never made. And the plan was to start with the lost Colin Baker series that was going to be season 23, but we never got. So we got stories that included The Nightmare Fair, Mission to Magnus, and mm -hmm. The Hollows of Time, all of which were intended to be part of the original season 23. But when Michael Grade swung his axe, all of these stories were <laughs> lost, although they were written in various states, but yeah. never produced. Yeah, it's a shame actually that the um, the Virgin Doctor Who books used the term "missing adventures" because um, "missing adventures" would have been a really, really good <laughs> good name for this range as well, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, this is this is. Um, I don't think I've told this story chronologically in our podcast yet, but um, one of the times that we took Colin Baker out for dinner after when he was in Glasgow, me and Alan McWan and a few other people he did mention to me that he was going to do it, that they were going to be working on the, the Lost Stories, he'd agreed to do it. But I remember him saying to me, um, if it goes public and I'm asked about it, I'll deny it. And I was like, it's fine, you know, my, my lips are sealed. I didn't tell anyone, but it was very exciting because I, I, mean, I remember reading the book of the Nightmare Fair when it came out and really, really enjoying it. And I remember the cliffhanger to Revelation of the Daleks that obviously was originally going to have him saying Blackpool or whatever. So um, it was it was really exciting that these stories got made, and of course, initially, you know, they did the sixth Doctor original season twenty stories, but they really expanded it out. They've eventually, I think, covered you know every single Doctor in the in the original sort of classic series run, which is pretty cool. But we'll we'll get to those. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of the other BF lost stories that have come out. We're going to start off today by talking about Return of the Cybermen. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Lost Stories, Return of the Cybermen. I wouldn't mind going home for a bit. Oh, don't be a drip, Harry. We have a whole universe to explore. Commander! Commander, you need to get up here. It's the plague. Captain Warner's got the plague. Back on good old Space Station Nerva. Harry! Doctor! Sarah! What are you doing? Destroying our intruders. Oh, seems you were right, old girl. Never miss the obvious, do you, Harry? Why do you want to kill us? Silence, Kilman, and put the gun away. I'm in command here. You too, Lester. His nerves. 
I can actually see all the nerves in his face. Black, swollen and branching like trees. I've seen this before. I know I have, but where? I've lost most of our crew from it. We're all that's left now. And have you had medical help from Earth? What's your name? Sarah. No! Ah! Ah! Get off me! Anitra, what was that? A uh, thing, a silver thing. Sick boy. Doctor, that's where we left Sarah. Let's go. You're not going anywhere. Listen to me! Let's try this! Cybermats! Did I say that? Why would gold have any effect on these creatures? I'll show you. See him. Doctor! I'm thinking. Sarah's dangerously ill. Don't you care? Harry, of course I care, but we must do something now. Now look here. Shh, shh, shh. What's in those cupboards? Kelman! Doesn't your gun work? Of course it works. Cease firing. Fancy meeting you Cybermen like this. <laughs> we were not ready to meet you. What a pity. Help me! Come on, Harry! Uh, oh, that's incredible! It's moving! Doctor! Now, there's a Cyber Leader. You should have learned by now. Resistance is useless. Now, Sarah... Well, if you're just going to stand there, you don't mind if I start getting dressed, do you? Uh... <sighs> Forgive me, gentlemen. You, you might possibly wonder what I'm doing under your table, but would you believe it? I'm a furniture inspector. He must be destroyed. No! Goatse! We're all doomed. Oh, it's no good, Doctor. But there's only one thing, the gold dust. We need that for the Cybermen. We won't get to the Cybermen if we don't stop the Cybermen. A little optimism never hurt anyone. Hang on, I've got an idea. Now, don't you boys let me down. Oh! No, no! Silence! You have just 60 seconds to bring us back on course. You use that one's gun and join me. Together we can take the control room. Now, come on! We're getting really close to the asteroid. Yes, on any other day, it'll probably be quite an impressive view. You cannot destroy me! I can think of nicer places to end up. So try to make sure we don't end up there, then! Big finish. We love stories. For this treachery, nobody leaves never. So, Return of the Cybermen, as we know, got rewritten enormously and hugely and drastically by Robert Holmes and went out as Revenge of the Cybermen. Um, the first Doctor Who story to be released commercially in VHS. I got it for Christmas in 1986. I could probably recite it word for word. I'm sure you could too, Kenny. Absolutely. Absolutely true. <laughs> so, yeah, it's um, it's interesting that this one is being done because I remember the, the script being published in DWB at one point in the, in the 90s. Certain elements of it were familiar when I was listening to it. Let me, let's let's kick it off then, Kenny. Have you have you listened to Return of the Cybermen? What did I you have think? In, I have indeed. Yeah, when I was doing the preview for Vortex, chatting with John Dorney about it, and I was quite intrigued by the how the hell will this fit in with the established TV continuity? But the really nice thing is that it does, and it does perfectly because you can go straight from the end of Genesis of the Daleks and pop on Return of the Cybermen, and then at the end of it you go straight into Terror of the Zygons. So it's as if it's almost like they've been pulled into a parallel universe, the Doctor, Sarah and Harry, and you can hear it that way. But it's fascinating because something that John said to me was, if you're writing down the synopsis of the story, it sounds exactly the same as what we got with pretty much apart from the Vogons. It's very, very interesting from that point of view because it feels like in the old days when we used to get the VHS tapes, You'd get, you could copy something, you'd copy something, and you weren't. You could work out roughly what it was, but you couldn't quite see it. And in many ways, this is like an audio equivalent of that because the story is very sure. familiar. You've yes. got Cybermats, you've got Nerva Beacon, you've got Kelman, and you've got Cybermen, of course. It's the same but different. That's what I found so fascinating about it. It's very much, I can see what it's doing, but it's also completely different at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the thing that's really obvious about it is just how much work Robert Holmes did for his rewrite. You know, the, the one the one that went out is Revenge of the Cybermen and what we got on TV. It's very old fashioned. The scenes at the start when when Sarah and Harry and we'll talk about Sarah and Harry properly in a little minute. You know, get stuck into the food that they find. I found that really quite jarring, but I could imagine Polly and Jamie doing it quite easily. You know, that was that was that was the weird thing. You could tell that Jerry Davis was seeming to be writing for you know 
from 1967 as opposed to the mid-70s. I'm very brutally honest, brutally honest, but tactful. I think what we got on TV in Revenge of the Simon was much, much better. It's a fascinating thing to take something like the script for Return of the Cybermen and produce it. And it's really obvious. I mean, it's obvious from listening to the the extended sort of, you know, behind the scenes features on the on the release, you know, when, when Mr. Briggs talks about everything he did on the music and the, the sound effects and stuff, you can tell that everyone involved has really, really tried their hardest to make this the best it possibly it can be. But, and it's a big but, I found myself at times thinking, guys, you know, was it worth the effort? I wouldn't have minded if they'd made a little bit less effort for the sound effects and the music to sound as good as they do, because I don't really think the story justified their, their work. It was, it's fascinating, it's a curio, I mean, it, and it's a thing that I find across across the whole Lost Stories range is that I find them incredibly hit and miss. How do you, I mean, do you have that experience? Do you find them very hit and miss or do you find them a bit more? I find, I mean, I find them fascinating. I'm quite interested to hear how they're done where we're getting a 60s, 70s and 80s style story, but being done with the, the sensibilities of the 2020s or the late 2000s. So I find them quite interesting that point of view. I mean, some of them are, you can tell when you hear and you think, yeah, I can tell why this wasn't made. And there's some of them you listen to and you think, yeah. why the hell yeah. wasn't this made? I mean, there's some, there's some brilliant ones, which we'll come on to later on. And just think, why yeah. was this not made? Because it's so much better than stuff that did, that did go out on TV at the time. And there's some that, it's yeah. just, there's yeah. some that are just so painfully good and you think, it's so frustrating. We were so close to mm -hmm. something as great as, as what we nearly did, but we didn't. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's the case. I don't, and I think in this case, I mean personally, I felt that Return of the Cybermen wasn't as good as what we actually got. I mean, it, I can't dismiss it completely because obviously, as we say, as a as a time capsule, as a you know of what Jerry Davis thought Doctor Who should still be like, and as an example of you know something that we didn't get. Am I, am I saying that I would not, I would have rather not listened to this than heard it? Obviously not, but you know, it's, it was kind of, I just wish in a way that they'd had a stronger story to work on. But I suppose if it'd been a stronger story, they would have made it. I mean, the one thing we have to talk about, but obviously Tom Baker's phenomenal in it. You can tell he's enjoying himself. And one thing I thought was really interesting was the different versions of characters like Kelman and Lester and Stevenson. Um, I, I found myself still, still picturing the guys from the TV story. Did you do that? Yeah. Exactly the same. I was uh, the same because I think back in those early days of VHS, two of the first stories that I got were Revenge of the Cybermen and The Seeds of Death. So you've got Ronald Lee yes. Hunt in both of them and you think, I must have been in <laughs> yeah. every single Doctor Who story or every other one it seemed at the time. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, I found picturing picturing the TV guys, but also the other thing I have to talk about, obviously, is Sadie Miller appearing as Sarah Jane Smith and Christopher Naylor appearing as Harry Sullivan. What did you think of them? What did you think of their performances, Ken? I think they're superb. I'll start with Chris. I think what he's done is it's fantastic. There's times when vocally you think, my God, that's Ian Martyr, and I did get a couple of shivers down the spine. But he very much captures exactly who Harry Sullivan is. I mean, he's, he's a fan like us. He knows the character. And when I interviewed him for Vortex, he was just so, so full of love and respect for what Ian had done with the part and he certainly put a hell of a lot of work in there. And his manners are very, because I'd actually watched the Mythmakers interview with Ian Martyr, which is on Amazon Prime. If you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth a wee look. And I'd watched that just by chance a couple of days before I arranged to speak to Chris. And when I watched it, and their mannerisms, and just like vocal tics, and they <laughs> speak in the delivery, really? it's, it's incredibly similar. And they've, they've cast Brilliant. him absolutely perfectly. How did you find him? Yeah. Well, I thought he was I thought he was great. I mean, I have to say, I think when Elliot Chaplin was playing Ben Jackson, I think he was maybe closer in, you know, sort of as far as sounding the same, but really, you know, and but really, you know, got the character over. But I think Christopher, without sounding identical to, to Ian Martyr, he he played a brilliant Harry Sullivan. I mean, I, I was I was visualizing, I don't know what Christopher Neal looks like. I need to have a look and see if there's any photographs of him in Vortex. I was visualising, for some reason, a taller, thinner version of Harry Sullivan, for some reason. I thought he was great. I mean, and he worked very, very well with with Sadie Miller, which was the other thing about it, because the one of the great things about watching season 12 is the interplay between Tom Baker and Ian Martyr and Elizabeth Slade, and they really captured that. I mean, we should talk about Sadie now. I mean, again, 
the, the recasting of actors who died is, is quite controversial. I know some people are resistant to it and aren't into it, and I know it's something that Big Finish can change their mind about doing. But if it's done respectfully, I think it works very well. And there have been a few times when when they've nailed it. I mean, it's and, and I think as far as the, the respectful sort of side of it, getting Caroline John's daughter in to play, you know, Liz Shaw is brilliant, and getting you know Sadie in to play Sarah Jane is is, is, is wonderful. I mean, again, you, their voices were not identical. But there were the odd moment when you, you mentioned having a sort of shiver, there were there was moments when I was out on my walk and I, I stopped in my tracks and was like, oh, right, <laughs> you know that was that was that was that was weird. I thought she I thought she was brilliant, and it's it's nice that she's going to be doing some more for them. What did you think of Sadie? I thought she was great. She's very much her own individual, and of course her accent is going to be different from her mum's, not having grown up in Liverpool and and lived a different life, but she has that very similar, the vocal quality is there, and you can hear it, and there's times when she's playing it and think, yeah, uh, there's absolutely no doubt who your mum is, and she does sound like yeah. family like her at times. Yes, not all the time, of course she's not, she's not an impression, yeah. but she's, she's, she's done a damn good job of it. I was genuinely impressed, and particularly the relationship that she has with Chris Naylor in studio. Obviously they were both coming in to do it for the first time for this one, and fingers crossed we get to hear a lot more of them. But I was really impressed and I thought you could not, I don't think you could have cast better than that pair if you're going to do it. Yeah. Well, agreed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a top notch job that, that they've both done. I mean, one thing I want to ask you actually, because you mentioned talking to John Dorney about it. Do you know if John made more of an effort to try and make Harry and Sarah seem more like Harry and Sarah, or were they very much as, as they were written by Jerry Davis? Do you know if John Dorney did anything to sort of tweak that or embellish that a little bit? I think from what John said, the original script, and I think you can see it quite clearly in the old DWB script of it, I think which was in issue 98, the month before Tomb of the Cybermen was announced as returning, Sarah was very, very poorly written for and, and sort of disappears for whole right. scenes virtually and just occasionally comes along and says, oh yes, Doctor, or no, Doctor, that sort of thing. So John did a... a did a better job for Sarah than she would have had originally if it hadn't made as Jerry had scripted it. I think it's definitely, the, the role has definitely benefited from having modern sensibilities applied. And obviously, yeah. we all know and love Sarah Jensen. Yeah. yeah, and we all know and love John Dorney. I always say, hashtag Dorney Delivers. He's, um, he's one of the best writers Big Finish have got and he should really be writing to the TV series. But now, he really should have done. So, I mean, what else? Was there anything else about the, the story that you, that you really liked, that you felt worked really well or you wanted to highlight? I was interested by the fact there's the lack of the Vogans, which of course we're all used to in the Planet of Gold, we're expecting them to be there and Voris ready to target his Sky Striker missile, but there's no sign Voris of and his stock film Space Rocket, yeah. Absolutely, but there's no sign of them, we've, instead we've got some miners, and I quite like the fact that a bit of thought went into it, and the fact that they were speaking with the future Afrikaans accent, which was used in the Sontaran experiment. So there's a nice sort of continuity there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's again, that's the sort of thing that, that impressed me that the everyone making it really made that effort for a story that, if we're being completely honest, probably you know didn't deserve it. So I mean, it's um, it's nice. I mean, I've, I've seen the phrase "silk purse" out of a, a sow's ear, and I wouldn't quite go that far because you know, some points of it I was very underwhelmed by. But you know, it's you can't fault the the efforts of everyone. That's, everyone involved who are really doing their best. You know, you're the man in the know. Are we going to get any more Harry Sullivan and Sarah Jane Smith stories? Yes, we will be getting more Harry in the near future and we will be getting more Sarah Jane, but if they're going to be appearing in the same stories together, I genuinely don't know at the moment, but I can but hope. Yes, I think it would be very nice. I mean, um, there's not, I mean, there's not a huge amount of room during season 12. You could probably argue that you could fit a few more time ring stories in here amongst. There's nothing to say that, you know, that they didn't have a couple more earthbound adventures involving Harry, you know, before and after the, the android invasion of the Seeds of Doom or something. There's plenty of room during season 13 to, to drop a few in. We shall see. Nothing to imply that um, they took their time to get back to Earth to answer the space-time telegraph call as well. Oh, of course. I mean, I, I have to say I'm not the biggest fan of, like, you know, squeezing stories into, you know, the, the, the narrowest of gaps. But, I mean, I, li I like actually what the, the suggestion I actually said at the start, though. I mean, it's... it's um. I like the idea of now watching season 12 and watching Genesis of the Daleks and instead of watching Revenge of the Cybermen, listening to Return of the Cybermen instead and then going into Terror of the Zygons. That'd be, 
that'd be a fun little experiment just to play with, you know, just see how that works out. Terrific. So that's it for the Cybermen. Let's talk now about the Doomsday Contract. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Lost Stories, The Doomsday Contract. Doctor, we need you. You must come to us. What? I have got numbers in my head. A set of coordinates. Who could beam coordinates directly into your brain? K9, feed them into the TARDIS computer. Act like an expert, but don't act like you know more than the judge. And most importantly, smile, but don't look like a lunatic. My craft has a mind of her own. Are you proposing that this contraption has sentience? Oh, oh definitely, yes. Then yes. the machine is culpable. Call security and arrest it for trespass, contempt of court, impediment of justice, impersonating a police officer. Put it in the cells until such time as it can stand trial. A time lord called the Doctor? I've heard of him. An annoying space hippie who likes to get involved. Because Megalon bought this planet to bulldoze it, but we cited a preservation order placed on it three million years ago. So that planet's under real threat? I'm afraid so. Does this planet have a proper name? Earth! No! Tragerkampf! Don't open it! Hello, Doctor. Hello. We are the children of Pixie. And we are here to bring you life. The children of Pixis are back! Canines knocking them out of the air, but they're just reappearing again. You will be vaporized. Your honor. And your atoms will be scattered to the nine corners of the universe until you be dead. Your honor, you're not in the criminal courts anymore. This is a civil court. They're already out. They're coming for us! They're going to kill us! Big finish. We love stories. So, Ken, tell us, what did you think of the Doomsday Contract? I think I've said a few times in previous episodes that the fourth Doctor and Romana in her second incarnation and K9 were my first proper TARDIS team as to when I was a fan and tuning in every week. I absolutely love this. Anything that's season 17 is absolutely up my street. I've enjoyed the previous Big Finish stories set in this period. I've loved the novels that were done by Gareth Roberts and Jonathan Morris. And this one is just incredible. It's John Lloyd, comedy legend in the UK. And the fact that this script, it was being adapted by Nev Fountain. He was working from outlines that contained notes from Douglas Adams himself. And think, mm. wow, yeah. if your script, if you're working on something, you've pretty much got your script editor there to start with. And you're getting them from the late, great Douglas Adams. What more could you ask for to get a great insight into his mind, to get some fantastic suggestions and where to go? Absolutely. Some some real comedy talent involved in, across this. I'm a huge fan of what Neff Fountain has done for Big Finish. There was the Colin Baker story, especially he did for the, the Destiny of the Doctors, the 50th anniversary one. I can't remember what it's called. Sorry, Nev, if you're listening, but it's joyous. And I've told him that, so it's, it's fine. But I really liked it. Out of the two new stories, the Doomsday Contract was, was definitely my favourite. Plenty of laugh out loud moments, you know, not least of all, all the talk about um, planet CZ456378 DC DC stroke 42K. Hang on, are you talking about planet CZ456378 DC DC stroke 42K? Yeah, um, planet CZ456378 DC DC slash 42K. Wow, it's a great planet, that yeah. one. It's a great planet. It's one of my favourites. I, I enjoy it on a daily basis, to quote Bill and Ted. All that sort of stuff was great. I mean, it was totally believed that this could have gone out during season 17. You know, that all that stuff about, um, it, in many ways, it kind of almost echoes the Sunmakers. All the stuff about the preoccupations of bureaucracy and how it can just deaden people's lives. I, f- I felt there was some bits of maybe a little bit over long where it kind of got away from the point. But there was some real, real, really, really funny stuff. And Tom and Lala seemed to be enjoying it hugely. It's always nice to, I think you can tell that the actors involved are, are enjoying what they're doing. I think they definitely were in this case. I mean, I think that what's different about this one, I think this is much more of a Nev Fountain original than Return of the Cybermen, you know, being a, a John Dorney sort of script. And it's because John was obviously adapting what the full script that Jerry Davis had written. And obviously in this case, I'm saying obviously a lot. I do apologise. Boss for repetition. Mr. Fountain is only really working from, from outlines and notes. But from what I can gather, he kind of picked and chose a little bit from the different drafts and the different attempts at working out that, that John Lloyd had done. So there was, you know, it's probably the best of both worlds in some cases. I mean, did you have any favourite parts in this one, Ken? 
I think that there's just so much fun in it. The fact that you've got the TARDIS being charged with life support. (laughs) And there's some ludicrous ideas in there. And and you do feel, like you said, there's a, a lot of regret that this would have been an absolute belter if it had been made for TV. It's just... The, the comedy in it is brilliant. We should probably clarify for any of our listeners who are not from, from West Central Scotland, an absolute belter means that something is really, really, really good indeed. Yep. I do apologise to the listeners who are wondering what on CZ456378DCDC-42K I was talking about. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I don't have as much to say about this one, to be honest. I enjoyed it hugely. I haven't stuck the CD on eBay and watched it sell in 45 minutes like I did with the other one. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm gonna, it's a keeper. Has Nev written for the for the main Fourth Doctor range? No, he hasn't. This was his first Fourth Doctor script and he was delighted to be doing Interesting. it. All right. Well, that's that's that'd be good if, if, you know, if, if that was a thing that happened. Not that I count myself as having any influence whatsoever at all, because obviously I don't, but it'd be cool. Hope you're, if you're listening, Big Finish, make sure you get Nev Fountain to write some Fourth Doctor scripts. I think Nev yeah. is a natural Fourth Doctor and Romana writer, because he's got that wonderful yeah. He's got that wonderful line in, in light humour that is very much in that season 17 vein. And I think that yeah. they are the ideal pairing for it, because it feels very much in keeping with the period of the show on TV. Yeah, and, and obviously... To his benefit, you know, he's never as a comedy writer. He's worked on all sorts of stuff, you know. So it's, you know, he's obviously got that proper comic sensibility and proper, t- proper timing. I mean, I loved all the stuff about the the parking tickets <laughs> and the implications and all that sort of stuff. Of It reminded me of the joke from Red Dwarf about Lister being pursued by the Norweb Federation for not paying <laughs> his electricity bill, you know, because <laughs> he left the bathroom light on or whatever it was. I love all that sort of, I love that sort of stuff, you know, the, the extrapolation and what it all means. It was a good one. So I think it's clear we're both agreed then that we that we both enjoyed the Doomsday contract as well. I think that's probably safe to say, isn't it? Yes. I wish they'd made it for TV. It really is a lost opportunity. <laughs> so, as usual, our Kenny, God bless him, put a little bit out on Twitter to see what, what his followers and what podcast's followers favourite. Big Finish Lost Stories were. We got quite a good response, so we're going to read a couple of these out just now. Mark Faulkner, good pal of mine from Twitter, he mentioned Prison in Space, which is one that I've heard as well, which is really, really funny. Mark makes an interesting point, actually, now that Christopher Eccles and David Tennant are recording for Big Finish, you know, might we ever see ninth and 10th Doctor Stories in the Lost Stories range? That's interesting. Do you know that famous script that Stephen Fry wrote that they couldn't do because it was very expensive or something? That was one. Yep, um, I've got, uh, there's actually one here which I think is appropriate from a man who has found the scripts or the outlines of many lost stories, Richard Bignall, the Doctor Who researcher who is at Nothing Lane, and his favourite is probably Farewell Great Macedon. Uh, still a cracking script, Mr John Dorney is superb as Alexander, and I'm in it too, a bit. <laughs> um. Yeah, Carl Williams also mentioned Farewell Great Mascon, and he made mention of Four of the Future, which is a fourth Doctor story. Farewell Great Mascon being a first Doctor story, we should probably say. Um, fourth and Future, I think I remember that very well. We'll give a shout as well to our, our mutual friend of many years standing, um, Mr. Alan McWan. I've no idea if Alan actually listens to our podcast or not. Alan, do you listen to our podcast? Please tell us. Alan made mention of the first Sontarans, which I have to confess I haven't heard. Um, that's by our pal Andrew Smith. This is very, very cliquey, but I'm not apologising. Simon Hart, another pal off Twitter, he mentioned The Elite, which is another Dorney story, I believe, adapted by John Dorney from the script of Barbara Clegg, which I think was actually the very first lost story that I listened to because it was a, it was an offer at one point. They got it for half price. That's a fifth Doctor story with Tegan and Nissa and the Daleks, which is just outstanding. One of the best things I think I've Big Finish have ever done. Yep. We've got Kelly Ellis, who actually worked in the story. He says, The Elite, and not just because it was my first attempt to replicate the early 80s radiophonic sound for the score, with amazing cliffhangers. Oh yeah. I don't want to spoil the cliffhangers for The Elite, and I'm probably actually mentioning which monster was involved. I probably, I probably have inadvertently, but The Elite's, I mean, yeah, things like Episode 2 and Episode 3 especially, really, really, really good. A bit of chat there about some of the ones that I've heard. I mean, I take it, Ken, you've heard every single one 
the lost stories. I have, and in many cases, multiple cool. times for big finish yeah. companions, vortex, listen agains, and things like that. So yes, many, many, and I mean, have I listened to them? Do you um? Are there any sort of particular favourites that you've got from everything that's been released? Well, I do indeed. I'll very quickly go through the stories from each season. Series 1 has The Nightmare Fair, Mission to Magnus, Leviathan, The Hollows of Time, Paradise Five, Point of Entry, The Song of Megatra, and The Macros. And for me, the real highlights from that season are The Nightmare Fair, which mentioned earlier. It's the one that was meant to be set in Blackpool with the Sixth Doctor and Perry meeting the Celestial Toymaker, which is great. It's John Ainsworth who adapted it, took the original script and Graham Williams' novelisation to create something a little bit special, I think, there. Paradise Five was originally a two-part story as part of Trial of the Time Lord, but Andy Lane adapted it from P.J. Hammond's original work, made it into a four-parter, and it's, it absolutely works for the Sixth Doctor and Perry rather than Sixth Doctor and Mel. But my favourite, I think, from the first batch was Leviathan, which was written by the late Brian Finch and his son Paul Finch found it, not Paul Finch from American Pie. And he adapted it and created something that nobody had really heard of before, set on board a spaceship with Heron the Hunter and a human colony on its way to another world. Have you heard any of those ones? I see, you should probably mention that um, David Gregory Morton and Brendan A. Jones on Twitter both mentioned Leviathan has been their favourite. Um, Brendan also mentioned Nightmare Country, which is the more recent one by Stephen Gallagher and Point of Entry. Out of the first season, I bought, well, I bought the Nightmare Fair very recently because it was in a big Finnish book club offer and I haven't listened to it yet, but the only ones that I've got from that series I've heard are Paradise Five, which I know I've heard, but I remember nothing about, which is probably very damning, and Mission to Madness, written by my current favourite thing of all time ever, Philip Martin, because I've been I've been obsessively watching and re-watching his series Gangsters recently trying to get convinced Tom and Kenny to watch that for the, for the Doctor Who family tree on, the, on, our, on our podcast. So we'll see if that ever works out. Mission to Magnus, I, I'm ashamed to say I don't remember too much about it either, which is awful, but it's a, it's a good long time since I heard them. So in my defence. So what's in Series 2? In Series 2, we have we have a couple of box sets. There's the first Doctor box set with Farewell, Great Macedon, and the one-part short, okay. The Fragile Yellow Arc of Fragrance, which is all first Doctor stuff. The second Doctor box set has Prison in Space and The Destroyers, which is the pilot for the Dalek series that never was. And then we have Thin Ice, not the one with Peter Capaldi, Crime of the Century, Animal and Earth Aid, which are what Andrew Cartmel conceived would have been the original TV series 27, with a few tweaks here and there. It seems I have all of the second series. Um, I have not listened yet to Farewell Great Mastodon, the, the, the fragile yellow arc of fragrance. That's still sealed, as I'm showing Kenny over Zoom here, as you can see. I should probably bump that up the list because of what people are saying about it. But I remember loving The Prison in Space, finding it very, very, very funny. It was, I'm not, in a way, I'm kind of glad that it didn't get made on television because I can, I can imagine, you know, people people have a lot of hard, like giving stories like, you know, Twin Dilemma and Time and the Rani and Time for like a Hard Time. I cannot imagine what an awful lot the modern Doctor Who fandom would have to say about the prison space. I also really enjoyed The Destroyers, but yeah, the alternative, what we didn't get, season 27, I loved these. I mean, this uh, the best way I can put this is like, you know, I remember listening to these on the app and kind of walking about, and at times I was convinced I was back in 1990. You know, I was, I, was, I remember gen- genuinely twitching at one point, being like, whoa, Having six-year flashbacks, despite the fact I didn't actually see this story, they were so authentic. Syl was amazing. Sophie was amazing. The stories were all really good. I mean, I'm a huge, huge fan of Andrew Cartmel. I think Mark Platt is one of the greatest Doctor Who writers has ever been. So the, I love these unconditionally. I thought they were brilliant. Excellent. I've just gone through them quickly. I would hugely recommend you pop on the first Doctor box set because Farewell Great Macedon uh, by Morris Farry is incredible. Uh, historical with Alexander the Great, but brought uh-huh. to life with a very small cast. It is quite an incredible piece of work. If you're a fan of Marco Polo, then you will love this because Morris Farry yeah. wrote this pretty much as he was watching Marco Polo go out. So you got that's the sort of tone and feel that the whole story has. And Fragile Yellow Arc is quite interesting just to... It's a very much a character piece that Morris wrote for himself so he could get into the heads of the various characters in it. And it contains the word coracle several times. Prison in Space, absolutely hilarious. Um, yes, very much it would be hated today, particularly the final scene when Zoe's 
evil program <laughs> is broken by having her bottom spanked. And The Destroyers is great, very much a fascinating look as to how the Daleks would have been in the American TV series with Sarah Kingdom and yeah. her robot chum Mark yeah. Seven. So we'll, we'll have more of Mark Seven in Dalek Universe, which is coming out this month and or may have come out by the time you hear this. And I'm really looking forward to hearing that, to, to hear how the worlds of Terry Nation merge with the universe of the 10th Doctor. Of course, yes, because Jane Slavin is in that, again, of course, fantastic. I love Jane Slavin. Kenny was very nice and got James to, to record me a happy birthday message this year, <laughs> which was glorious. So yes, the more Jane Slavin, the better, quite frankly. So right, series, um, yeah, what did you think of the, the Sylvester McCoy stories from, yeah. from this series then? I was quite surprised by these. I genuinely expected Ace would depart, but but Andrew took advantage of the fact that things could be different. So Ace stays on and the Doctor and Ace are joined by Rain Creevy, played by the incredible Beth Chalmers, who I just love. Her dad is Scottish, by the way, he comes from near Dundee. Andrew's written Crime of the Century and Animal, and Mark Platt doing Thin Ice, not the Peter Capaldi one, and Earth Aid by Ben Aronovich and Andrew. And there's some great scenes in here, I mean, particularly... I love the fact we've got Brigadier Bambera back. I just wish we could get more of Bambera because, yeah. you know, not having her around is a bit of a shame. <laughs> that kind of ties in with what I was saying about my, my experience of listening to these just felt so, so authentic. Obviously, Angela Bruce was in Battlefield in, in Sylvester's last series and it was it was great having her back. Yeah, these were very special. I mean, I, was, I remember just really, really lamenting at the time that we weren't going to get any more Sylvester and Sophie. So these were quite good because they kind of they kind of scratched that itch, as it were. Yeah. So yeah. tell us about see what's what are the stories in the third series then? Uh, the third series is more mixed up, where we've got a mixture of doctors. We start with three stories with the fifth doctor, Tegan and Nissa. The Elite, which we mentioned earlier, based on a story by Barbara Clegg and adapted by John Dorney. Hexagra, which was adapted by Paul Finch from a story by Peter Ling and Hazel Adair, and The Children of Seth by Christopher Bailey and adapted by Mark Platt, which is the writer of Kinda doing something new. We then have The Guardians of Prophecy by Johnny Byrne, adapted by Jonathan Morris. Gary Hopkins adapted Powerplay, which he was actually down to write for the original show. And The First Son Tarrens by Andrew Smith, who again adapted his own work. The series then concludes with The Masters of Luxor by Anthony Coburn, adapted by Nigel Robinson. And The Rose Mariners by the late, great, lovely Donald Tosh, a second Doctor story. So out of all these then, I have the Masters of Luxor, but it's still sealed. I haven't listened to that, which is bad because, you know, which is insane because the first Doctor is my favourite Doctor and I really should have done that. But maybe I'll make them my um, my my accompaniments and my walks this week. I've got a few of them. I mean, I've got Guardians of Prophecy. I presume I've listened to it, but I remember absolutely nothing about it. No offence to anyone involved. The Elite, I've already enthused over. And the Rose Mariners, yeah, I, I remember listening to that one. I've got that one too, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember it making too much of an impact on me, to be honest. Mm. I, don't remember, I don't remember anything about it. So maybe I should move on from Series D. What did you think? What are your favourites from Series well, D, Kenny? Well, I actually, in, in the tweets, I asked um, what people's favourites were. And we had Johnny Morris said, the Guardians of Prophecies, but enjoyed that but Frog in the Future is good too. Of course, the Guardians of Prophecy was adapted by Johnny Morris, so hello Johnny. Mal Franks added in, I'll also add the first song Tarns and Farewell Great Macedon, but Johnny points out, yeah, but it didn't work in those, Mal. <laughs> Which is good fun. I really enjoyed this run. There's such a mixture there. You've got the Elite, as you mentioned, it was fantastic. And actually, the first time I listened to that, I was on my way to visit the home of the former Member of Parliament for Glasgow South as I was picking up a copy of his book, which had just been released. This is October 2011. And I came round to his house and had a chat to him then and went back into the car and put the Elite onto my car stereo. So, hello, Tom Harris. I was listening to one of these stories outside your house. Hexagora, it's an interesting one. It's got Jacqueline Pierce and David Warner in it, which are great. And then we have completing the fifth Doctor Lost Stories, The Children of Seth, which has got the late, great Honor Blackman in it, playing a romantic interest of the Doctors as well. Uh, Guardians of Prophecy, great. It's a sequel and prequel to The Keeper of Tracking. Powerplay, interestingly, brings back Victoria, which would have been interesting if it was on TV. Ah. 
it was originally called Meltdown, but had to be renamed because of the incident in Japan at the time when this story was being released in 2012. What's the pitch, the justification for getting Victoria back? The fact that she's she's investigating, as I recall, what's going on at a power plant. She thinks she's she's against um, future fuels and things like that, and nuclear power and stuff like that. And she's taken captive by the bad guys because she's campaigning against it, as I recall. Which which doctor is in that? Is that, That's is that Colin? Colin and Perry? Interesting. No, I don't think I've heard that one. I haven't heard that one. I'm not sure if I've got it. I might have it as a download on the deck. I don't have the CD mm-hmm. anyway. We've got the first Sontarans in here as well. And visitors to the Power of Three website this week should have a wee look because you will find there's an in-depth article about the making of this story here because I did a feature for the local paper at the time as Andrew was from Rutherglen and I worked in Rutherglen at the time. And I spoke with Andrew about it. I spoke with the director, Ken Bentley. And I also have quotes from Colin Baker, Nicola Bryant, and the producer, David Richardson, about it all, as well as Dan Starkey, who plays the Sontarans. So that's a wee bonus for you on the Power of Three website this week. Awesome. Check that out. Terrific. No, I haven't heard the, the first Sontarans. I tend to buy the lost stories when, when they go on offer, or if, you know, if they're you know reduced as a randomoid selectotron story. So... My, my approach has been quite scattered. You know, I've never consistently sat there and bought them all. The only ones I've, I've de- you know, I bought all, you know, definitively was with the Sylvester McCoy ones, but again, that's probably when they were reduced as well. It's a range that I, I, I dip into occasionally. Yeah. So what's, um, what's in Series 4? Series 4 was the last of the original run, three of which are adapted from script ideas by Brian Hales. The first is a First right. Doctor Vicky, Ian and Barbara story, The Dark Planet, which was adapted by Matt Fitton. The second is The Queen of Time, which is a second Doctor Jamie and Zoe story, which was adapted by Catherine Harvey. And the third is Lords of the Red Planet, adapted by John Dorney, with the second Doctor, Jamie, Zoe and the Ice Warriors. And this is pretty much Genesis of the Ice Warriors. The final story in this set, her first third Doctor lost story, which is The Mega by Bill Strutton, which was adapted by Simon Guerrier with the third Doctor, Joe, and Mike Yates. The only one of these I've got is Lords of the Red Planet, and it's sat here in front of me. It was in the pile that I'd listened to, but again, I don't remember anything about it. I mustn't have listened to that ages ago. I can't really comment the other ones because I don't know them. Is the third Doctor one any good? The Mega is... Be honest. (laughs) To be honest, I'm not the greatest fan of the Mega. It feels quite slow. And you look at some... I mean, having recently discussed... The season eight stories, this is meant to be set during then, but there's just not a huge amount going on. I think Simon Guerrier is a, a tough ass to try and get a six-part story out of this, as right. it just feels really, really... I mean, if you think, take the feel of the mind of evil, but try and make it a bit more hard, you know, a bit more hard-edged, but it's just not as... It doesn't have the charm, just in terms of you know, what it's okay. based on original storyline because there's aliens coming in and stuff but it's just it's, right. it's i found it a hard listen interesting interesting i'll probably get to it eventually i'm sure yeah here's a few more tweets we've got one from english giraffe whose favorites are farewell great macedon and the elite absolute stunners for stories the Dwayne of morbius nightmare country i totally get why it couldn't be made for tv but what an incredible story we'll come to that in a wee minute Chris McAleer mm-hmm. says, I've only heard Farewell Great Macedon, The Elite, and The Nightmare Fair, so to be fair, don't feel qualified to comment. Often, <laughs> I think Davison's outing was the one I liked the most. Andrea Mettenborg in Germany says, That's hard. I haven't listened to all of them, but I totally loved all of the six Doctor's Lost stories. And now I'm so thrilled with Return of the Cybermen. Andrew Sear says, So far, Return of the Cybermen. He actually reviewed it recently, and you can read that at www.thedoctorwhocompanion.com. Jack, who is at Hooveneer, says, I have a real soft spot for Nightmare Country. Love the season 2021 team of Tegan and Turlow. I do too. I wish we could get some more with that trio. That's an excellent point, actually. It baffles me that that's the only story we've had, apart from episode one of the Sirens of Time. That's like the only story we've had with the fifth Doctor Tegan and Turlow. It's crazy. Give us some more season 21, big finish. Shakes fist. <laughs> Alex Hargrave says, I'll put in votes for the phenomenally good children of Seth. 
Superb script from Bailey and Platt. Also feel so 80s, I have to convince myself it wasn't made at the time. And the two Lost Stories that were made before Lost Stories were a thing. Lou Guru and Night Thoughts. And Night Thoughts there's a classic. Jolie Koo, who does uh, videos for Big Finish actually, and did an awful lot of the fantastic work for Big Finish Day Online last year. He says the fragile yellow arc of fragrance is probably my favourite, with Farewell Great Macedon and Lords of the Red Planet being close behind. And then he adds smiling face emoji. Joshua Duffy, Return of the Cybermen is great. I also like the first song, Tarans. Michael Bolinevsky says, Honestly, really love the new Doomsday contract story. There we go. Man of taste, Dave. Doomsday contract. That's the one about planet CZ456378 DC DC stroke 42K, isn't it? It most certainly is, and their plans to get rid of it. Pure Lenny <laughs> says, Lords of the Red Planet. Ivan Huskunov says, Paradise 5. The stylish one says, I love Fall from the Future. It's one of my all-time favourite yep. releases. It's got everything I want in a Doctor Who story and more. It's just phenomenal. And Alex Hargrave, would it su surprise you if I said the Doomsday Contract, Tom and Lala, performing material by John Lloyd and Nev Fountain. Only a servant of the Black Guardian wouldn't like that. <laughs> I like that. I like that indeed. Before we go to The Nightmare Country and The Ultimate Evil, which were released in 2019, let's talk about the special release. Have you heard the two Tom Baker stories that were done in this range? Yes, I have. No, I have, yes. Uh, am I right in thinking that they were the first one, the big first Big Finish Tom Baker stories to be released? That's absolutely right. Yes, Four from the Future and The Valley of Death. The Four from the Future and The Valley of Death were originally outlined by Robert Banks Stewart and Philip Hinchcliffe, respectively, but were adapted by John Dorney and Jonathan Morris and have got the fourth Doctor and Leela. Yes, I've heard these. They're both really good. I mean, I, I, Fall from the Future, obviously, was the one that I think was replaced by Tans of Wen Chiang. I think that's right. I think that's right. I really enjoyed it. I remember thinking that, I remember thinking that Charlotte was brilliant and that she could have hung around and get some more stories with Charlotte and I thought she was lovely. I really enjoyed this one. Again, it's a while since I've heard it. I don't remember too much about it, but I remember really enjoying it. And again, Valley of Death, I remember that just as vaguely. But again, also, I mean, yeah, if, I, if I've listened to it and I've still got it, that means that I've liked it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd love these two. I think they're phenomenal. I think that Fall from the Future, you listen to it and just think, this was made on TV, wasn't it? And then, no, it wasn't. The original outline that Robert Banks Stewart wrote, I've seen it, I've got a copy of it. And, you know, it's a big breakdowns for episodes one, nearly as much for episode two, but they get lesser and lesser in detail in terms of right. episode five. And episode six, he didn't do at all, which John Dorney had to well, and scratch and run with. Right. But it's a fantastic job. Right. It's a really, really good one. I love it to bits. I think it's, this box set is one of the best, and particularly Valley of Death is so much fun. Philip Hinchcliffe coming up with an idea for The Doctor and Leela. And Johnny Morris did a very, very clever thing in this because it's set originally in 1977, and then they travel in time and they come back in 1979. So you've got the first two episodes are very much written in the style of a Hinchcliffe story, but the 1979 episodes are written in a Graham Williams style. So there's a bit more comedy and laughs and a bit of silliness in there. And I, I think it's a wonderful story, very underrated. And if you haven't heard it, I would hugely recommend you give it a go. Yeah, I mean, I remember both of these stories feeling very authentic. And I suppose that's the best thing you can sort of hope for. If you're if you're listening to a lost story, is that it, it feels genuine and authentic to, to its time? I mean, that's why I think, like I said already, I found the the Seventh Doctor stories to be very nostalgic. You know, despite the fact that they weren't made, and again, a story like the Elite was probably a lot better than what we got on television. To be honest, because John Dorney is a much better script editor and script adapter than Eric Sayward. So you know. Dorney, can you go back in time and replace Eric Sayward and Scott Dead in the late 80s, please? That'd be good. But again, I'd say authentic is, is, I think, is what you really hope for with a lot of these stories. And, and I have to say, in, in a lot of cases, I think they've always got that authenticity, especially the, the two new stories that we've been talking about today. And, you know, just to cast back quickly to the prison in space, I can imagine that fitting in perfectly in Series 6. <laughs> you know, it would be, it'd be absolutely hilarious. I'd be there. I'd be there. I can imagine being the sole advocate and be, being called contrary, but no, I quite enjoyed it. 
So what was what was next after the Fourth Doctor set then? Well, we've got Series Five was released in 2019, as there had been a bit of a gap, as the yes, yeah, so the Mega been released in 2020. Yeah, yeah, Series Four had had concluded in 2013, but the decision was made to bring them back when Stephen Gallagher got in touch when he found his outline for Nightmare Country, which had been submitted for season 21, but never released. And they paired that up with another Sixth Doctor and Perry story, The Ultimate Evil by Wally K. Daly. As that yes, of course. Of course, because the, the Ultimate Evil was originally planned for the original season 20 as well, wasn't it? And that was novelised. And I believe that, that they eventually agreed terms with them in a way that they couldn't do when they first wanted to do the story. So I haven't heard The Ultimate Evil, I'm afraid. I haven't listened to it. I think it's mainly because I spent last year catching up in Eighth Doctor and Fourth Doctor stories. So, I mean, if you, what did, what did you think of The Ultimate Evil and, and Nightmare Country? The ultimate evil I'll go with first. It very much is in the feel of season 22, where you've got a slightly more angry Sixth Doctor and there's more violent overtones in the story, where there's a lot of aggression. It feels very much true to that Eric Sayward's kind of feel to it. It has... I mean, there's, there's some great performances in there, and Colin and Nicola, as always, give their all. It's maybe not the strongest script that there ever was, but it's really nice to have it in terms of, you know, for completeness sake, to have it in there. So yeah, that one, uh, I'd be interested to hear what you think when you hear that. And Nightmare Country yeah. is Stephen Gallagher. It's just wonderful. It's just completely mind-bending. I mean, I didn't even know this existed, but he'd submitted it back at the time and it was rejected for being too expensive, apparently. It okay. was, let me think, it's got Turlo, Tegan and the Doctor using a reality simulator, which projects a world which then is overrun by an alien species who are trying to find a way out of this virtual reality and into the real world. So yeah, imagine that um, all the CSO and Quantel in the world would not have been able to make this at the time. It probably yeah. was the right decision then, but it's a wonderful audio and Stephen Gallagher writes brilliantly for The Fifth Doctor. I remember listening to Nightmare Country and very tellingly, I don't have the CD anymore. <laughs> I remember feeling that whilst it's a feeling I have, I've had with a few lost stories, feeling authentic, a good job by everyone involved, but just a little bit unsatisfying. I remember sort of feeling that, this, the, I mean, this is no fault of the story, but an awful lot of the ideas, which obviously would have been new in the early 80s when it was first proposed and all that sort of stuff, have probably been used elsewhere since. So, you know, I remember thinking it was really, really obvious what was going on, but but thinking that the story was taking a long time to actually get to the point and, and you know, confirming to the audience what was going on. I remember sort of thinking, right, well, it's obvious what's happened here. You know, they don't really know who they are and all that. But I remember thinking that the ending was quite bleak as the other versions, the, you know, spoilers, skip ahead 30 seconds if you're listening, the, as the other Doctor and Tegan sort of await you know, sort of dissolution to sort of, you know, diso- you know to happen and, and, you know, to die sort of. It was very... I can imagine it if they'd done it on television, you know, it, it probably would have been amazing. And it's maybe just familiarity with the concept and the ideas that have happened since that maybe kind of were in its detriment for me. But again, it was so good just, and Mark Strickson was brilliant and all the other people sort of mucking about in the TARDIS and all that and thinking, yeah, because we always got loads of TARDIS scenes back in the day and that would have been, that's what we would have got. I just, as we've said already, and I'm at the risk of labouring the point, but it's a point worth labouring, I can't fathom why we haven't had more Fifth Doctor, Deacon and Turlow stories. I really hope that we get that soon, especially, especially now the main range is coming to an end and they're going to be doing something different. I hope we get a Fifth Doctor, Deacon and Turlow box set before too long. Dave, that's the stories we've had so far from the Lost Stories, and hopefully there will be more to come, but are there any Lost ones that you would particularly like? Oh, now that is interesting. I have, I have always, always hoped, and I don't know how practical it is or, you know, given a lot of personalities involved, but I would love it if, if Big Finish were able to do the Dark Dimension, depending on who you who you listen to and what you believe in about how far along it got or how official it all was, which was going to be the, the 30th anniversary, you know, feature-length drama, and that never happened. I would love it if they did that. I'm told Douglas Canfield was the guy that originally wrote the story that Sarah Jean Smith was going to leave in, something to do with the French Foreign Legion. be nice if that was if that was turned up. And then, of course, there's Operation Werewolf, by Douglas Canfield, also by Douglas Canfield, I think, which I have no idea, I don't know anything about, but it'd be quite nice to see it or, or hear it, at least if it existed. What about you? 
You mentioned Operation Werewolf. Yes, that was outlined in an issue of DWB many moons ago. And I think it involves the Nazis doing teleporting experiments or something like that. So I think that would be okay. quite an interesting one to hear. But um, in terms of other ones, I mean, I know there was, if you remember, David Banks' Cybermen book had a genesis of the Cybermen story. That's not my thing. Yeah. I think we've been given spare parts. But obviously it's, yes. it's there potentially. It's, it's hanging there. And there's still... And the Children of January is a, it's a wonderful name. I don't know what it's about, but it was one of the original mm. stories for season 23 proposed by Michael Feeney Callan. I just think it's such a fascinating name. It's, it has me going, oh, I wonder what that's all about. That, that would be I mean, that sounds to me like a, yeah, definitely. That, that sounds to me like a, a Tomorrow People story or a Kate Bush album or something. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Very of its time, I think. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And Children of January. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't know anything about that one. That's quite interesting. You know, Mark mentioned, obviously, we read out Mark Faulkner's tweet, and Mark suggested it would be nice if there was some some ninth and 10th Doctor scripts that never made. I mean, I've no idea how much, how likely that would be. But it would certainly be fun. I mean, um, there's, there's, def- there's a definite sense, I would hope, that, you know, that, that out of all the stories that have been proposed or scripted and then abandoned, I would really hope that, that what Big Finish have done is really just the best ones. I would really hope they sort of left it without scraping the barrel too much. You know what I mean? It would be, it'd be quite be quite bad if they, you know, if they got to the point where they're saying, right, we've just found this cigarette packet with half a dozen words written on it by Kip Pedler. So Mr. Dorney's going to crank out six episodes in about two weeks on Tuesday. You know, I really hope we don't get to that stage. Yeah, we know that there is one more lost story, at least still to come, with Mind of the Hodiac from the mind of Russell T. Davis, a sixth Doctor and Mel story. Oh, of course. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, if, if anyone hasn't heard, I mean, that was that's all come around because Russell mentioned it and that he'd, that he'd, unle- that he'd uncovered it at, at home and all that, and, you know, and, and made a joke about, about Big Finish doing it. And it's now actually happening. Russell's writing for the sixth Doctor and Melody, and I've seen Colin and Bonnie exchanging and enthusing about it on Twitter, which is lovely. Yeah, can't wait to hear that one, actually. That's, it. that's an excellent point. Aye, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to it. Why don't we play the clip of him talking about it on the one show when he first revealed it? Of course, we want to quickly talk about something our viewers know and love you for, Russell. Uh, Doctor Who. Yeah. Right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. That lovely show. Because are uh, we right in thinking that there may be a new Russell T Davies Doctor Who script on the way? Well... It's a strange thing. I, re- I reached into one of those boxes you have at home full of old papers and old bills, and I found this, which is a Doctor Who script I wrote in 1985 on an electric typewriter in a wow. bedsit in Cardiff. And I think someone's going to make it. They're going to make it. My friend Scott Hancock's going to make an audio version of this with a company called Big Finish. So that'll be nice. Oh, my yes. gosh. Absolute winner. Have to do nothing and get some cash for it. <laughs> well, oh, I wasn't thinking about the money for something. <laughs> We've also got two final tweets here about favourite lost stories. James Hawkins says, Disgusted that not a single reply to you mentioned season 27, all four stories with seven. <laughs> James, 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 we talk about the seventh Doctor in full or not at all. But the seventh Doctor, Rain and Ace are pure perfection to me. And Sam R.M. Geddon adds, Rain is, no joke, one of my favourite characters, and I regularly campaign for her to make a comeback. There's a story I really want to tell with her character one day, plus Beth Jammers rocks, and posed with Sylvester for a stereo 3D image I made a while back. Sounds good to me. Yeah, Rain, Rain was in Unit Dominion, wasn't she? She was, we got a bit extra yeah. Rain in there. It was, I think she's a great character. I think the fact you've got somebody who's had an upper middle class upbringing with her dad having been a slightly more dodgy character as a 60s criminal sort. And there's something wonderful about it. I just think it's, I love Beth Chalmers. I mean, she is range. She does her martial arts. She kicks ass. And generally, she's a rather wonderful human being. And I always love talking to Beth. <laughs> yeah, Unit Dominion is a great story because that was the one that introduced Alex McQueen to, you know, in his recurring role which everyone probably knows, but I won't spoil. And of course, my mate Julian Dutton is in it. That's Colonel Lafayette. So the, the campaign to get Colonel Lafayette and more stories begins here. So I, right, I think that's probably us, isn't it? It is, Dave. It absolutely is. Yeah. Thank you for joining me this afternoon, Kenny. Thank you, one and all, for listening. You can find us on Facebook. We are Power of Three. You can find us on Twitter, at Power of Three Pod. And you can find us on our website, powerofthreepod.com. 
And make sure you do check out the website because Kenny's going to stick up his article about Boston Tarrant's not there for to check it out. Absolutely. So, thank you for listening, Kenny. Thank you for joining us, Kenny. What are we going to play over today? Well, given that today we've been talking about stories that have been lost in time, it seems appropriate to now go into Lost in Space by Apollo 440. Thank you.